This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. It was created with a specific mission, namely to protect the nation from technological surprise. That's Victoria Coleman. She's director of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, better known as DARPA. And they are a part of the U.S. military. And not only are they in the business of preventing technological surprise for the U.S. But also conversely to develop technologies that can create that surprise for others. And one of their more recent surprises was helping the pharmaceutical industry develop a COVID-19 vaccine in 83 days. A complex vaccine that would normally take years. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. From the invention of the Internet to achievements in space and modern-day vaccine miracles, one defense agency has played a key role. It's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Their main mission is to prevent the U.S. from being exposed to technological surprise. And they're involved in a whole lot more, as you'll find out on this program as we speak with Victoria Coleman, director of DARPA. We've heard about DARPA for, for, for many years, but tell us specifically what DARPA's job is. So DARPA was created uh, all the way back in 1958. So the agency is 62 years old. And it was created with a specific mission, namely to protect the nation from technological surprise. So it was, um, it was launched, it was launched at, um, um, after the, the successful Sputnik uh, mission, which of course was a cause of surprise for us here in the United States. So the, the agency is there to prevent surprise like that from ever happening again, but also conversely to develop technologies that can create that surprise for others. One of the things that we know that DARPA does is to work on things that are really very deeply kept and held secrets in terms of technology, in terms of many of the things that drive a lot of military and intelligence programs and platforms, uh, things that we don't know about and we will never know about. But I'm interested in hearing from you. You're the director of DARPA. What is it that you would like for people to know about DARPA specifically that you believe is is most beneficial for the listening audience? Thank you. Thank you for, for giving me that opportunity. I, I, I think, honestly, that the first thing to note is that there is a specific kind of work that DARPA is really good at. So uh, I think that's that's an important kind of distinction because as you you know as you know 
in the United States, we invest a great deal in R&D, uh, starting within the Department of Defense, but then most broadly. Uh, for example, you know, the NSF, the NSF National Science Foundation uh, supports work in academia that is first rate. So what is, you know, what is different about DARPA? Uh, DARPA works on projects. And, you know, when we, when we start an effort, we always ask ourselves, do we have a prayer of making this work? Uh, if this were to work, would it change the world? If we could make it work, would, would there be anybody out there to use it? And then if we, you know, if we satisfy ourselves that the answer to all these things is yes, we'll put a project together that goes off and for the next, you know, say two or three years on average, we'll go out and investigate if the, the thesis, the hypothesis we started from uh, is actually, um, will actually pan out or otherwise. So, so what we do uh, is we take on very risky projects. Um, and our goal is to take risk out of these technologies. So by the time, you know, we are ready with the technology that we're going to offer, say, to our military, we will have taken out much of the risk. We know that it will go uh, to the, when, when it goes in their hands, it will work. It will give them the benefits that we believe uh, it, it is capable of. So I, I think, you know, DARPA in many ways is in the de-risking business, but um, it's at the, at the cutting edge of that. So, you know, we will do programs that no other part of the government would, uh, would work on because they're just too risky. So in this kind of broad ecosystem of, of R&D in our country, DARPA has a very specific kind of role to play. Uh, and that is um, high risk, high payoff projects mm. that can be executed um, really by being managed as projects. So unlike, for example, a broad um, area. So if you take the NSF, the NSF will sponsor work and say in artificial intelligence, and they will do so by advancing the area, the, 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 um, the, the topic in many different ways, in many different places that are certainly not, uh, not tied together, not necessarily so. At DARPA, it's exactly the opposite. We pick our performers in such a way that um, we have the optimal uh, setup for success for this particular area. So performers work together, the programs are very actively managed, and um, the, the work that comes out of them you know, more often than not gets transferred directly either into our military or in, in another organization, perhaps a private company that can take it, mature it, scale it, and then make it available. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, we are a little different. Also, I will say that, um, you know, we, we are known worldwide um, as an R&D organization. I would say that, um, I would say, I, I believe that DARPA is actually the world's most premier R&D organization. Yeah. And it's interesting that we do that without actually having any labs and without doing any work ourselves. <laughs> so this is kind of a little, um, you know, a, a, a little kind of peculiarity of the way that we do our work. We hire great people, our program yeah. managers, who come here with, you know, a, uh, you know, a, an idea that they're really going to build, um, you know, a, uh, a, a program around we let them go pick the best performers they can find, and then we support them as they get their work done. Okay. But all the work is done outside the agency. Okay. Suffice it to say that a lot of what you do is over the heads of most of us. And speaking of which, I noticed uh, not too long ago 
there was um, a news release about DARPA selecting teams to further advance dogfighting algorithms. So, (laughs) you know, that kind of that kind of science, that kind of work is clearly something that requires specialized skills. So give us a breakdown of the kind of people that work for you. How many people work for you or maybe a ballpark figure? And what are the skill sets that are necessary? That's a great question. Um, So uh, we have a total of about 100 program managers at DARPA. I think all told, uh, Jared, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're about 200 or so uh, government employees. Uh, We also have uh, approximately, I think, 800 uh, science and technology assistants in the building. So all told, you know, I think the agency um, operates with about a thousand people uh, in our building in in Boston. Um, The kinds of people that we have. So we have primarily folks that come and go. This is another hallmark of the agency. Um, Nobody in the agency except for our uh, core functions like like HR and, and IT and so on. Uh, is populated by um, by people forever. So you know when we hire people, they, they get hired for a two f- or, or four year uh, term. They come to us, uh, they do their amazing work, and then they move on and they do other things. So we this way we have a continuous kind of influx of uh, of ideas, which also means that we don't have what I will call organizational memory. Oftentimes when you're in R&D, and R&D, bear in mind, oftentimes it can take 15 years for something to, uh, to be truly developed and proven and, um, and made available. So there's a tendency, once you've started something, to continue, even if sometimes the signs aren't great that it will succeed. And this is why our kind of transient, if you like, personnel model comes in so handy at DARPA, because we don't have that. We don't, you know, when, when somebody comes in um, either with a new idea or to take over an existing program, they will reevaluate and see, is this still the right thing for us to be doing? Should we be doing something different? Uh, that way we, we ensure that there is always a very healthy kind of turnover and a very healthy, um, I guess, discipline in what we continue to fund. So, you know, hold that for a moment. Uh, back to your question about what kinds of people. Um, in the agency, we structure our work in, in six technical offices. So we have an office uh, that deals primarily with information. We call it the Information um, Innovation Office. So if you come to work there, the chances are that you will have a background uh, in computer science and associated uh, areas. Um, you could be somebody who is a PhD. You could be somebody... Uh, works in a government lab. You could be somebody who is a professor or maybe somebody who's uh, ex, uh, ex-service. Um, we have an office uh, that looks primarily at microsystems technologies. Um, you know, that's where we do, for example, our work on uh, microelectronics. So if you come to work there, you will have a background in, in that discipline. We also have a biological technologies office where you, know, you wouldn't be surprised you to, to hear that we hire um, very eminent uh, biologists. Uh, we have um, our 
te tactical technology office, which is where we do what I would describe our big iron systems. So we tend to hire folks there that have uh, experience in building uh, and fielding large systems. Um, you know, an example of, uh, uh, of work that is done in that office is hypersonics, uh, for instance. Um, we then have our strategic technology office, our SDO, um, and there we look at um, at how do we take all this, um, you know, all, all these advances that are happening both inside the agency and outside, and we create strategic capabilities. Okay. You mentioned uh, at the beginning of your call the Alpha Dogfight. Uh, the Alpha Dogfight was actually um, part of a program called ACE, which is um, an STO program that is trying to to show how advances in artificial intelligence can actually be leveraged in a realistic um, you know, mission environment where a human being will have to cooperate with an artificial agent. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, the, the experiment that you heard about was very much part of that. Yeah. And then last but not least, we have our defense sciences office, which I call, uh, it's uh, DARPA's DARPA. <laughs> so there we really do very, um, very advanced, very forward looking work that if it's successful, oftentimes leads to the creation of an office. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's a broad spectrum uh, of, uh, of, of technologies and also people. Uh, in fact, uh, that was where I was going to go next. And looking at your background, I know that you were at Wikimedia. I know you were, you were right. at Technicolor, Harman International, Yahoo, Nokia, Hewlett Packard, Samsung, Intel. How does working at all those places, how did that prepare you for this job? You know, I, I um, so in many ways, in many ways, uh, one way is learning to operate in a large organization. So when you work in a company like Samsung, for example, or Intel, with hundreds of thousands of, of employees, you learn to, to work in an environment where, um, you know, there are complex uh, processes, interests. Uh, in order to have influence, you need to learn how to operate in that kind of large pond, if you like. Uh, DARPA operates in this large um, DOD pond. Uh, understanding how to navigate complex organizations, uh, I think it's, it's fundamental in being able to be an advocate for the agency, but also understand what our constituents need from us and how to best respond to that and how to hold hands with them as we deliver solutions. So that's one piece. But I think the other piece that I think it's particularly relevant uh, in, you know, in, in 2020 is um, a lot of the technology that the DOD uh, is using today uh, and is relying on and will continue using in the future actually is developed outside of the DOD um, industrial base. Um, you know, this, uh, this kind of flipped, I think, about 20 years ago. Uh, where now the majority of the technology um, investments that we make as a nation or, or, or even globally uh, have an outside the DOD. So that technology really needs to find its way back into the mission. And somebody like me who spent, you know, uh, 20 years near enough uh, working outside, I think I bring a perspective of what technologies have been developed on the outside and how they could be leveraged inside mm -hmm. um, the the department, but it, it's beyond that. It's not just technology, it's also best practices. Yeah. And I'll give you a, a, a quick example. Um, the way that we develop software, for example, 
Um, you know, that has changed so much. In the beginning of my career, I, you know, I won't even tell you how we wrote software back then. It would be too embarrassing. Um, now, the way we do this is, you know, we use agile methods because nobody really can get their head around the, the, the complexity that today's software systems entail. So we do them bit by bit. And as we do a little bit, we field a little bit, um, we, we see, you know, what problems it solves, if it works well or otherwise, and we adapt. So it's called agile development is now the kind of industry standard. It has been so really for the last 15, 20 years. It's something that the DOD is still in process of comprehending and, um, you know, ingesting, integrating, so that even within the department, we can begin to move to much more productive, um, you know, software production methods, for example. So it's both technologies, JJ, but also it's best practices that we can bring back into the department, just because technology has become, become so much more globalized than it was before. Yeah, you know, and speaking of global, the things that you do have a global impact. There's no, no doubt about it, absolutely none at all. And one of the things that's having a big impact now is medicine. And I know, and I did, actually, I just found this out recently. I knew that DARPA had its, its hands in a lot of different things, but I didn't realize how much it was involved in the health world. Can you talk a little bit about that significance? Absolutely. And, and as you say, it is, it is a little surprising. Uh, even to me, honestly, when I, when I came to the agency, I was surprised uh, about the depth uh, of the investments that the agency has made in this area. And it's kind of interesting because, of course, you know, everything that we do has a military application. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we start off by trying to solve a problem uh, for the military. And then it turns out that sometimes there are applications that we didn't, you know, we had no idea would be, um, would be relevant when we started. And, you know, of course, the Internet is such an example, right? It was built for military purposes and look where we are today. Yeah. Um, but it turns out um, that about 10 years ago, you know, because you know, we knew that our troops could be deployed in exotic locations, if you like, uh, with very little notice, um, and there would be pathogens and, and, and uh, disease agents in those, uh, in those places that would be unfamiliar to us, we wanted to be able to develop um, vaccines and therapeutics very rapidly so that we could make that available uh, to our troops when they landed in zones like that. So the agency did work, for example, um, uh, on Zika. I did uh, work on Ebola. And as COVID-19, um, you know, became uh, such a kind of prominent feature of our, of our lives, uh, many of our performance uh, kind of switched focus and looked um, at applying all those technologies um, and breakthroughs that had created in other, um, in other pathogens to COVID-19. So as a result of that, um, they were able, for example, to, um, to isolate antibodies very, very quickly. Uh, and then of course, using those antibodies uh, to develop uh, both uh, vaccines as well as therapeutic agents. Um, the work that we, um, that, that led to this um, was, was really was meant to, um, be able to discover a and develop a vaccine within 60 days from the identification uh, of a new uh, agent. Well, that, in this case, uh, it took, I believe, 83 days. 
So we didn't quite make 60 days, but we made 83 days. And you're talking so, specifically, if I might ask, about the Moderna vaccine. Is that right? Uh, correct. And, and actually, there was some good news today. As, as, as you probably know, the Moderna vaccine, at least the, the, the results of uh, phase three so far, look very, very promising. So that is a, uh, that is a great example. Um, last week, um, I believe it was Thursday or, or Friday, also, there was, uh, there was a, a great piece of news um, from Eli Lilly, who licensed an antibody from one of the performers that uh, we had uh, supported um, with, with our work. And that, um, that work has led to a therapeutic agent, in other words, a medicine that can be used to prevent um, the, the, the worst symptoms of the disease and prevent hospitalization. So... Uh, if we know that somebody is is positive and they're showing signs of the disease, they can be treated with that um, with that a, with that, with that uh, medicine, and that prevents them from having to be hospitalized. May, so that go ahead. Uh, may I ask a I just, mm. may I ask a very quick, quick question? So would would it be safe to say? Is it fair to say that what DARPA did in terms of helping the healthcare world? find a vaccine or, or develop a vaccine for COVID-19 or develop multiple vaccines for, 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 for COVID-19 was DARPA showed the world, or at least the, 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 the organizations that you were working with, how to do these things quickly, very quickly. Is that fair to say? It, it's absolutely fair to say. And, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'll tell you that, you know, one of the things that this agency is known for um, and, and something that I am really kind of asking uh, our people to keep in mind is that, you know, we are in the time compression business, right? We want to move, to do things so fast that uh, really our adversaries have trouble keeping up with us. You know, we have this urgency. Um, and in this case, absolutely, you know, if, if you're going to send people in harm's way, and I know, JJ, you know, you've been in many of those places with our troops, you're going to give them the very best um, you know, protection we can afford. And, you know, if it takes you three years to develop uh, a vaccine or a therapeutic agent, um, the moment has passed. You know, people, you know, people in the field need protection there and then. So, you know, we, you know, <laughs> we push our performance. We, we, we set ourselves goals that at first glance might look completely ridiculous and impossible. And, you know, then as we start working on these things, Many of them actually become first plausible, then possible, and then realized, and then fielded. Uh, and this is no exception. What you're seeing now uh, with both the vaccines and the therapeutic agents are, you know, children of exactly that uh, that process. Well, that is a part of what is so amazing about DARPA, and it's amazing against the backdrop of the other things that DARPA does and on does them <laughs> on a regular basis, like. You know, uh, AI, you've talked about that, spinal cord injuries. You know, uh, there, there are numerous, I can't tell you how many times over the 16 years that I've worked in this space here at WTOP and for the last four going on five years that I've been working on this podcast that I have seen press releases about DARPA putting out, uh, I guess, announcing competitions for things ranging from subterranean uh, programs 
uh, to air breathing things. You know, one of the things that really that's one of the things that really um, is, is amazing to me is, is the range of things that DARPA does. But another thing that I find very interesting, too, is how long DARPA has been doing it. You said it's 62 years old. I can recall visiting the CIA some time ago and seeing I'd heard this story before, but I saw in the museum there a jet fuel powered laser guided dragonfly. That was used. <laughs> <laughs> that was used by the the intelligence community to listen into a conversation um, from between two individuals that they couldn't get close enough to to do it without being discovered. So they created something like this. The most amazing thing was I learned about this in the two thousands, but this was technology from the Eisenhower era. So mm. this is the thing about DARPA that's most remarkable to most folks is how far ahead of us you are on everything. I mean, so <laughs> develop, <laughs> developing vaccines in two months, I mean, this kinds of, that kind of thing. So what, what do you think is out there ahead of you now, your big challenges? Uh, so that's, that's a great question. You know, the, the kinds of things that, um, so as, as a director, you come into the agency and you bring, you know, your own background and your own anxieties about the things that we may be, you know, left behind on. And I certainly have my fair share of those, and I'll, I'll share some of this, some of them with you today. Uh, but it, of course, it goes beyond just my personal anxieties. One of the things that I want to do um, is, you know, engage um, the staff at DARPA in a conversation about what should be working on, what should our priorities be. Um, and we're starting a 90-day, um, you know, inclusive kind of intensive thinking process to try and figure out, you know, what are the broad areas that we must not lose uh, track of. And at the end of that 30 days, I'm, I'll be happy to speak to you again and tell you exactly what we came up with. Okay. But, you know, before, before we get to that, um, you know, I, I, as, you, as you saw from my background, I spent a lot of time working in microelectronics. You know, I worked at Intel. I've done a great deal of work and thinking about uh, technology issues in microelectronics and how uh, they're shaping the future, what vulnerabilities they may create, be, be creating for us. And it's interesting that you know, DARPA itself started a program called um, ERI, the Electronics Resurgence Initiative, a couple of years ago, uh, with an express purpose of bringing together companies in the commercial space with DARPA to begin to address the, the kind of microelectronics problem that we have. And we have a problem, why? Um, well, because, you know, despite the fact that we as a nation, as a community invented really microelectronics as a discipline, if you look at our manufacturing, um, if our, at our share of manufacturing of semiconductors today, we have about 12% of global um, production capacity here in the United States, which really, you know, makes us vulnerable to a whole bunch of things. So we want to make sure that um, we innovate around ways of manufacturing, for example, um, and looking at ways of structurally perhaps affecting that industry to make it more, um, more, to make it easier for domestic production to scale again. So ERI and um, ERI 2.0 is um, is coming down the pike, um, you know, soon after that is an area where I think as an agency, we absolutely need to apply our, you know, our magic, our special source, if you like. Another area that um, you know, I came in with a great deal, 
let's see, of, I don't want to call it burden, but a great deal of, of, of thinking about was COVID-19, not just the, you know, the, the therapeutics and the vaccines, but also the impact that um, the response that we offer as a society, as a country to the virus is affecting the day-to-day work that we do. You know, at DARPA, we've done very well. We've had, I believe, about 10 cases um, and none of them are in our building. We, you know, we operate at about 20, 25% capacity. Um, you know, we execute our mission as well as we can under these conditions, but it's not the same as being together. And that is, of course, something that is replicated. Every, every organization that you speak to, I'm sure including your own, um, let alone families, hospitals, schools, everybody is affected by our response because we don't have a, a very clear way of saying this is safe and this is unsafe. We treat everything as unsafe. So one of the things that I want to do, um, and I worked with our uh, Defense Sciences Office when I, when I came in, was to see if we can build a detector. You know how in your, in your home you have carbon monoxide detectors and smoke, smoke yes. alarm detectors? Yes. Why couldn't, I asked myself and I asked our people, why can't we build a sensor, a room sensor that you can put on the wall and if viral load is present or it ex- exceeds a hazardous level, then it goes off and we know that we have to do something. We have to leave the room, whatever. Um, so, you know, is this a DARPA hard problem? I don't know that it is not because it needs to bring together lots of different disciplines to build this. It's not just biologists and medics. It's also microelectronics people, it's systems people. Um, so we put out a solicitation, uh, I believe two weeks ago, uh, sensors to go out and find a community of, uh, of performers to see if we could build such a thing. And of course, again, you know, it, it won't surprise you to hear that this is built on an existing program that we've been uh, working on for the last 10 years, almost called Sigma Plus, mm. where we were doing detection of pathogens uh, out, out of doors. Now we're taking that expertise and saying, can we do something indoors and can we do it quickly? Because again, you know, uh, two or three years from now, hopefully you know, this virus will, will have abated. Uh, so we were able to use a, a vehicle that is very novel, we'll call it disruptioneering, um, where we'll be able really to get people in contract as, as, as quickly as three months from the issue of the solicitation. So, you know, again, if I talk to you six months from now, hopefully I will have some good news to share. But that was something that was very important to me because, you know, it's, it's a contribution that only DARPA as an agency can make to something that affects every single person in our nation today. Um, well, hopefully that gives you a sense uh, of, uh, of the, the spectrum of things. And I know we have a limited amount of time, but if we ever have time again, I want to talk to you about the work that we're doing and we want to do in internet and information freedom. I want to talk to you a little bit about what we're doing in the Arctic. I want to talk to you about the work that we're doing to support uh, operations in the gray zone, active deterrence, as well as operating from under the sea. These are all areas that are very prominent in in our field of vision. Um, It's what we're going into our strategic process with. Um, What comes out, of course, you know, will be uh, be something for us to talk about in about three months from now. Well, I can say for sure that I will definitely be available for that call and that conversation when you're ready to talk about those things, because that is absolutely, without a doubt, some very interesting stuff that you talk about. Um, so before we go, I would like to ask you, 
uh, just briefly, if there is anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important that you'd like to talk about. I, I, I think, you know, the, the, the one thing that I would, uh, you know, I would like to leave your listeners with is um, a reassurance that, you know, DARPA is taking along just, just as, you know, it, it can be 62 years old, but actually, you know, we operate like teenagers, like our metabolic rate is pretty high. So the, you know, the agency is at its peak. Um, the people that I found when I joined vastly surpassed my expectations. It's the kind of place where everybody comes every day with a passion to execute a mission, to support the warfighter, but also to solve big problems uh, for our nation. It is such a crown jewel. And for me, honestly, JJ, it's the honor of a lifetime, an incredible privilege to be able to work there with that caliber of, uh, of, of, of individuals. So, um, you know, um, it's... Um, it's a real privilege. And I, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity today to share some of this work with us, with you. And uh, we'd love to continue giving you updates and sharing, you know, hopefully our good news with your listeners. Thank you very much, uh, Direct Coleman. It's been tr- a true pleasure for me to talk to you. This is the first time that I have had the pleasure of talking to the director of DARPA, and I'm glad it was you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Likewise, I can say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria Coleman, director of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. I can tell you for sure, we'll be back to that. And that interview, I can guarantee you, will be just as interesting as this one. In our next episode... Americans stood up for our democracy. They voted in record numbers, both for Joe Biden and Donald Trump. The foreign intervention, because of good work of our intelligence and law enforcement community, was prevented. Senator Mark Warner, Vice Chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. His voice and others as we explore what the intelligence community learned from the elections. In the meantime, if you have questions or comments about the show, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and please follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. If you want more national security information, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And we're at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. was coming. Guess who? Oh. Let me start this thing off. Join me every week for the Michael Irvin Podcast. We'll give you the full MIP experience. I'm talking everything from football to fashion. I will be chopping it up with playmakers, headline makers, and I am throwing haymakers. I'm the MVP of the MIP. Don't miss it. Download new episodes of the MIP, the Michael Irvin podcast, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.